All right, good morning. We've been in a series on Sunday morning um, that the deacons have asked me to preach a, a couple of messages. Actually, it ends up being a, more than a couple of messages because I'm just slow as I present things, and so sometimes I have to stretch messages out. Now, I intend to try to get through this message today, but if I don't, we'll turn it into part two uh, in a few weeks, but that's my intention is to get through the material today. All right, and uh, see all the kids standing out there? Okay, Ephraim's got them. I'm just like, they're all in a group, and they're usually gone by now. I'm kind of like, what's going on? So, all right. Um, But we've looked at marriage as a contract uh, last week, a a covenant of companionship, and uh, how important marriage is outside of your salvation in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. My personal opinion is that marriage is the second most important decision that you can ever make. And uh, so God intends uh, for you to be married uh, to your spouse until death does you part. Now, today we're going to look at divorce. Now, I know when I said that word, that's not pleasant. It's not pleasant for me to preach. As a matter of fact, it's actually very hard to preach. Um, in my last ministry, we had uh, just genuine believers that experienced a lot of pain in their lives uh, because of divorce. But they're some of the sweetest and most dearest friends that I have in my life and uh, really helped me grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so today... I just want to say that if divorce is in your background, I want to extend grace and love to you. And from the Word of God, we're going to just teach what the Bible says is truth. And God's ideal is that divorce not take place. And so sometimes we're at fault in walking away from a marriage that we should have stayed in. And then sometimes we're not at fault, and divorce was the only option Uh, that really was there. And so um, we'll walk through the scriptures today and look at those and find out what the Bible has to say on this concept. So just in review, last week we talked about marriage. It is a contract and a covenant of companionship. We looked at uh, Isaac and uh, his wife, uh, Rebecca, and how even before the marriage took place, there was a contract between the families, an agreement that she would go, and then there was a covenant. Um, God was in all of that, and so when we make our our vows, we make them before God, and uh, God is in a marriage relationship, especially in a Christian relationship. But above all, marriage is companionship. It's friendship. So today, can we get one thing clear? If you're married today, we've got good news for you. God wants you to stay married. Amen? And uh, so stay with the person that you're married to right now. So we're not going to present anything radical that says, you know, you should divorce someone or something like that. No, we're we're not going to do anything like that. So the big idea today is to really discover the meaning of divorce. Uh, Sometimes we have certain things in church culture that's actually not biblical. For example, 
Well, I know they're divorced, but they're still married in God's eyes. We've heard that. But can we find that in the Bible? It's not there. Okay? And so when we go through discovering the meaning of divorce, we're going to see that actually God hates divorce. Now, he allows divorce, but that he hates it. And so we'll, we'll examine, examine this as we go through the scriptures. So first of all, let's talk about a biblical attitude about divorce. Uh, we need to hate what God hates and then extend grace and love to those that have gone through divorce. So to start with, let's take our Bibles and go over to Malachi chapter 2. If you don't know where Malachi is, find Matthew, go backwards one book. All right, is that easy enough? Go to Matthew, go backward one book to Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. In verse 16, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth uh, violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. So what does God hate? God hates the putting away or divorce. So we'll look at some of the Old Testament words. We'll look at some of the New Testament words that we find in the Bible. But then I want us actually to go to a passage that I think you'll find surprising. Let's go over to Jeremiah chapter 3. So you'll find the book of Isaiah, then you go to the book of Jeremiah. Now, what kind of prophet was Jeremiah known as? The weeping prophet. So there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of sadness in his ministry. Um, I don't envy Jeremiah's ministry, because many of those prophets that ministered to the people of Israel and in Judah before the captivity really had no converts, had no success. Uh, it's kind of like Noah. You preach for 120 years and you only have eight souls or seven souls beside yourself that you can show for. And um, so Jeremiah is one of those weeping prophets because the children of Israel are acting very wickedly in great spiritual abominations. But Jeremiah chapter 3, look with me at verse 8. And I saw, when for all the causes whereby uh, backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Did any of you find that just a little unusual? Anybody? All right. So God is saying Israel was acting so wickedly that spiritually I divorced them. I gave them a bill of divorce. Now, what do I want to draw to your attention from such a passage? Well, if God hates divorce, then why would he give his own people a bill of divorce? Well, 
at this point in the message, let's just say this, that all divorce happens because of sin, but not all sin is divorce. Did you hear that correctly? All right. All divorce is a result of sin, but not all divorce is sinful. And so God himself gave his people a bill of divorce for all of their spiritual adulteries that they were committing. You say, well, what were they doing? Well, on their roofs every night, they were worshiping the stars. And the ladies would bake cakes, raisin cakes each night and then offer them to the goddess of the stars. Uh, they set up curtained booths in the temple proper and had uh, fornication inside the temple of God. Um, they were offering their children alive to Moloch, the pagan god of fire. So these things were an abomination to the Lord, and it broke his heart, and it was causing him great pain. And so divorce is a very painful thing, and I, I find it interesting that it's in Jeremiah's book that he's the weeping prophet. Now, there's a lot of weeping and crying um, I have wept with people that are going through a divorce. And as a pastor, you just want to fix it, but you can't. And so there are sometimes is, is so much pain here that it's the grace of God that deals with this. So hate what God hates, but then yet extend grace and love to, to people. And so the Lord wanted to love his people. He wanted, and he was trying to extend grace and love to them. But they would not. But here, when we talk about our attitude, we need to extend this grace and love to divorce people with our attitude. And it's so important because our attitude will show up in our relationships with divorced individuals. And the things that we say or the conversations that we have in church. Um, sometimes we hear of a marriage that's in trouble and we get on the phone or we talk to somebody and we say, oh, did you hear about Billy and Susie? They're getting a divorce. It's like, okay, so why are we bringing this up? What are the facts? What should we be doing to help? Do we really know that this might have to be what is the option for them at this time in their life? So we need to extend grace and love towards them and have a biblical attitude. So divorce for some persons under some circumstances, as we'll find in the scriptures today, is altogether proper and not the object of God's hatred. Now, divorce, even when it is proper, is always associated by someone's sin. At best then, divorce also brings misery and hurt. So if you look at that passage in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, one of the things that God hates is the violence that happens to a family because of divorce. The emotional violence, the spiritual violence, the mental anguish, 
all of that, that that's taking place. There's lots of violence. And so for the pain that's going on, God hates the pain that's there. So if you've ever been divorced or if you're going through divorce, please know that God has given us the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and that he does not quench the smoking flax or break the bruised reed. God is not going to be done with you. He's not going to crush you. He's not going to break you. God loves you. And he has given you the Holy Spirit to comfort you as you go through this. So I would, when I make this comment, I've never seen this here at Calvary. So that's a good thing. But would the church of God in general be broken over their individual sins and have godly sorrow like people who are going through divorce or who have been divorced, is then we would be broken and we would be allowing God to work in our lives. Because when we're proud, God resists us. But when we humble ourselves, God gives us grace. So we must hate what God hates, but we also must exhibit love and grace towards the divorce. So let's look here biblically at the concept of divorce. There's lots of references to it in the scriptures. But here's a simple definition for it, the concept of divorce. Divorce, the practice of breaking the contract and covenant of companionship. All right, so if marriage was a contract and a covenant of companionship, divorce is breaking the contract and covenant of companionship. So that's a very important understanding. Now, if you would, please take your Bibles and go over to Matthew chapter 19. So if you find Malachi, just go forward one book and go to chapter 19 in Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 19, uh, really verses 1 through 12 uh, deal with this topic of divorce. But we come to verse 8, and Jesus is answering a question. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away, so that's another phrase, put away, which stands for divorce, uh, your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Marriage was God's idea. God made Eve for Adam. Help me. Perfectly corresponding to Adam in every way. And he put Adam to sleep and took out a rib and fashioned Eve out of that rib, woke Adam up and presented Eve to her. And that was truly a marriage that was made in heaven. Marriage is God's idea. And then verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife. Um, and then so forth. But marriage is God's divine institution. It's the first institution that God ever created. But not so with divorce. Divorce is a human invention. It's something that we came up with. It's not something that God came up with. And we see that 
um, at the end of verse 8, but from the beginning, it was not so. So divorce is a human practice. It's not something that God has originated. It's not something that God has authored. Um, And so by the time we really open the pages of the Bible, we get into the books of Moses, and it's a practice that is well-established within humanity. We don't even know where it comes from. We just know that it's already there. And so God takes this human practice and he will put some regulations on it. Because what God is going to do, as we'll see, he's going to try to stop the the pain and the hurt. Because people hurt one another and all the pain that's caused. So unlike marriage, divorce is a human institution of unknown origin. So Jesus says it is a change. Now notice also with me here in verse 8. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you, allowed, permitted, okay? never commanded. Would you say that with me? Never commanded. So it's an allowance, but it's never commanded. And so we don't know when it originated, when it started, Uh, But God will regulate it. He allows it, but he's going to put some constraints upon it. And so it's already established. Now, he allows it under some circumstances, but not others. So let's go in our Bibles now to the Old Testament. And we'll see what Jesus and the Pharisees are talking about and uh, explain some things to you. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Beginning in verse 1, when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it to her in her hand, and send her out of his house. And when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorcement, and giveth it in her hand, and sendeth her out of his house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife. Her former husband, which sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife, after that she is defiled, for it is an abomination before the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance." So here's what we're going to look at, right? Let's look at what God is is saying about the divorce proceedings. So from verses 1 through 4, here's what we have, all right? Uh, We see that there was a written bill of divorce. Now, there was no government 
that recorded this down at the county clerk's office, all right? Uh, this was just between the family members, between the husband and wife. And so the husband had to draw up this bill of divorcement, and then it says here that he had to put it in her hand, all right? It had to be personally served to her, all right? So put it in her hand, or give it in her hand. And then the third thing is here, there had to be a separation of the marriage partners. They had to separate. She left, all right? And so these were the three things that God says uh, that went into the divorce proceedings. Now, we're here in chapter 24. Let's go over to chapter 22 for just a moment. In chapter 22... Look at the end of verse 19. And she shall be his wife. He may not put her away. That means divorce. All his days. So you can read the verse and get the context, but there was a practice that was going on um, where God says if these circumstances have happened and there's a marriage then he can never divorce this woman. It's not allowed. And then you go over a couple of chapters, and you're like, okay, so there's this bill of divorcement that's been given. What, what, what's going on? Well, this is showing us that God is regulating the human practice of divorce. He recognizes that it's in existence. And so instead of letting people use all their violent clubs on one another, he's trying to regulate this to bring some order and control to the process, to divorce. So his intentions are to keep people from doing more damage to one another than what they might otherwise do. And then he intends to discourage foolish and hasty divorce actions. So every legitimate effort, therefore, ought to be made from our behalf to help persons contemplating divorce to reconsider what are the alternatives and to assist divorce persons to be reconciled to one another whenever possible and before they remarry because then it's too late. So from this point in the message, take away that God recognizes and regulates the human practice of divorce. He makes an allowance. We see he regulates it in 22, verse 19, by saying you can never do it. But then in chapter 24, this is how it's done, all right, if you're going to do this. So, even though God hates divorce because there is sin behind every divorce as its cause, but not every divorce is sinful. Some are proper, proper within stringently defined limits that God places upon that. Now, here are some of the Bible words that God uses, all right? Um, the English would be a bill or certificate of divorce, a cutting off. The Hebrew word is sefer, uh, kareth, huth. Uh, another Hebrew word, garash, means to expel, to put away. And salach means to dismiss, send away, to let go, to put away. 
In the New Testament, we have some words. Apoluo, to divorce by putting away. Carizo, to separate by divorce. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11. And Hithemi, to leave, to send away, to divorce, to leave by divorce. So let's look then at Christ on divorce. So let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 18 again. So I want you to go to 19. Look with me at verse 5. Matthew 19, verse 5. And said, For this cause shall a, man, uh, shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They saith unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Verse 9, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. His disciples say unto him, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it is good not to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. And then he goes and ends verse 12. He is able to receive it, let him receive it. All right, a couple of things that are taking place here in Matthew 19. First of all, where is Jesus quoting from at the beginning of chapter 19? He's quoting from what book of the Bible? Genesis. Where are the Pharisees quoting from? Deuteronomy. If you read the parallel account in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is teaching them from Genesis. From the beginning it was not so. This is how God has designed this. And so what they're doing is they're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. All right? They're putting the emphasis on the wrong part of the verse and the teaching. They're, they're thinking about this topic. Well, why can we get divorced? And Jesus says, it's not the way it's supposed to be, guys. And they're like, but wait a minute. Moses says that we can get a bill of divorcement. And so what they're thinking is this. Any uncleanness in her, anything that displeases me. And so the rabbi that they're following at this time, his name is Hillel, and he taught that divorce could occur for any reason. I woke up to the smell of burnt eggs and burnt toast. I'm not happy. I'm going to divorce you. Okay. Um, whatever the reason is, uh, they had a fight. She didn't like what I said to her. And so I don't like her tone of voice. I'm going to divorce her. And so something that's unpleasing. And that's how they're interpreting the passage. 
they're thinking, well, we have permission. When Jesus is saying, no, you don't. You've got the wrong emphasis in your thinking. You don't have that permission. There's no command to divorce. You see, they even use the word command. Why did Moses command? And he's like, no, Moses didn't command. He's allowing, he's permitting this to take place. Because you as husbands, you have a hard heart. But from the beginning, it was not so. And then he says something very powerful. Whoever divorces and gets remarried commits adultery. And if the wife remarries, she also commits adultery. It's not a position that you want to be in. So what's taking place here is these are covenant people. These are Jews. And they're in the covenant before their God. So you might say that these are, are two believing partners in a contract and a covenant of companionship. And a divorce takes place, and Jesus says they're not to be remarried. If they remarry, then they commit adultery. Now, let's look at what the apostles teach on. Let's just go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for just a moment because there's some further explanation here. 1 Corinthians 7. Beginning in verse 10. Unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, and if she depart, what's the next phrase? Let her remain unmarried. Now wait a minute. What has just taken place here? A divorce. She was married, there's a divorce, and now she is unmarried. You see that? The covenant and the contract of companionship, it was broken. She's single. But God says she is not to remarry, remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. So here in verses 10 and 11, uh, we see that this is a, one of the two groups here in this chapter that's being addressed. So let's look here at the second group for just a second, verse 12. But to the rest. Well, who's the rest? All right, well, let's read on. To the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any man, uh, any brother, half a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. 
But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. All right, so there are two groups here in 1 Corinthians 7. Verses 10 and 11 is group A. Verses 12 through 15 is group B. Group A, each partner in the marriage relationship is a believer, is a Christian. If a divorce takes place between believers, as Jesus says, if you marry someone else, you've committed adultery. So in other words, what Jesus is teaching is you have an obligation as a believer to reconcile. You're not at liberty to go out and be remarried. That's what he's teaching. Seek reconciliation. If you don't and you remarry, you've committed adultery. Now, let's go back and look at what Christ is teaching on this because we're not quite there at what the apostles taught yet. But let's look at Matthew chapter 19. Look at verse 9. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So this is what is commonly known as the exception clause. Some people don't allow an exception, and they say there's no exception clause. Well, Jesus does, so I'm going to go with Jesus, all right? And he says there's one exception to what I just said. If one of the spouses has been sexually impure, then divorce is an allowance. It's an option. It's never commanded. And so if there is sexual fornication... All right, now here's another thing that's common out there, all right? How is the exception clause sometimes misquoted? Except it for be the cause of adultery. That's a misquote, and that actually changes the meaning, okay? So the Greek word behind this is pornania. It's the Greek word for sexual impurity. It covers all kinds of impurity, from adultery to same-sex sins, to bestiality, to every perversion under the sun. So by concentrating on the act of fornication and not its result, then Jesus was saying, here are the parameters that a divorce is permissible for two believers under this circumstance. Now, that's a whole lot different than what the disciples in their day and age understood. Notice their reaction to what Jesus said. Verse 10, his disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it's good not to marry. Do you think that in their culture they had some problems? Yeah, they did. 
And so this is just a human problem, and it's been around for thousands of years. But when they heard Jesus teach on this, they're not saying, oh, he's looking for an easy way out, all right, by giving them an, an, an exception here. And when they heard that, they're like, whoa, wait a minute. You just clamped down on us. If that's really the case, it would just be better to be a single person your whole life, all right? Because they did not think that that was making it broader, right? They thought, wow, this was very narrow. Jesus just clamped down on the practice because what was the practice of their day for any reason? And Jesus says, no, that's not what God says. Only under that circumstance. So, the church then, if you go back to chapter 18 with me for just a moment. Chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two, one or two more, uh, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. All right, we know that is the passage on church discipline. And so you've got two believers who are out of sorts with one another. They're supposed to try to work it out. They get it worked out, awesome, go on, all right? If they don't get it worked out and they stay apart, then they're supposed to bring a team in to help them reconcile one or two more. Get the facts straight, and if it gets resolved, then it just stays with that party of four people maximum, no more than that. And if it's solved, it's solved. If it's not resolved, then you bring the whole church in. And the whole church listens to the matter. They plead with the, the, the warring Christians, be reconciled to one another. Get right with God. Get right with one another. And after they plead with them, if they won't listen to the church, then church discipline needs to happen. So there needs to be a functional judgment that takes place. So an unrepentant believer who refuses to reconcile, it might be both of them. It might only be one of them. But the unrepentant believer who refuses to reconcile, then practically the church needs to make a functional judgment and say, we're going to have to treat you as if you're an unbeliever. We remove you from the church. Now, what was the point of what they were doing? Was it to remove them? No. It was to put them back together. All right? So, now let's put that in the context of a marriage. You've got two Christians. They're married to one another. 
They're in a Bible-believing church. They're having marital problems, and they begin to drift apart, and they're squabbling, they're bickering, they're not reconciled to one another. And so finally, they come to another believer in the church, and they ask for help. Let's pray that they get the help and they get reconciled, right? Praise the Lord. But if they don't, then what's the responsibility? We've got to bring this before the church so that the church can help them. What's the goal of the church? To reconcile their marriage. And so the obligation here is that even if a divorce did take place, Jesus says, they need to be reconciled. And that's what Jesus says. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Corinthians, believers are under obligation to reconcile. They're not to remarry. Then, if they will not reconcile, church discipline steps in for functional and practical purposes. One or both of them would be viewed as an unbeliever. If it's one, then you've got another believer who is going through great pain and the violence that's being done to them. They need your comfort. They need your help. They need your encouragement, not your criticism that they're going through a divorce. How dare they, second-class Christian? No, they're weeping. They're brokenhearted. They need your love. They need your help. And that's what the family of God is for. And so seek that reconciliation. And I've not personally done it, but I've heard about it. I've heard of reconciliation after divorce. They got married again, two believers. Praise God, it got resolved. It was right. Um, In my last ministry, uh, we had one of these, and actually we had several of them. Some of them worked out, some of them didn't. But we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we wept with those who wept. And so we have to to be involved practically as the church. So now believers may divorce for fornication. So if you have your Bibles, there's a couple of other references, Matthew 5.19 and 5.32, that Jesus talks about it. But Jesus made it very plain that there's one ground on which believers might divorce a believing spouse. And that is sexual sin. This was a strengthening of marriage by the Lord as understood by the disciples. The Bible does not require a divorce in a case of sexual immorality, but divorce is permitted. The word fornication in the original is pornania. This covers a wide range of sins. We've talked about that, but Jesus here is focusing on the violating act not on its effect, which is adultery. By focusing on the act, Jesus covers all the possibilities. All right? So, now, let's look at the the apostles on divorce. And so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We looked at this already. We've got two groups. We've got the believers in verses 10 and 11. If they get a divorce, they're to reconcile. They're under obligation. 
Um, now, verse 12 through 15 is talking about what do you do as a Christian if the husband or the wife is not a believer? And so as the church left the city of Jerusalem and went beyond Jewish culture, went into Gentile pagan culture, sometimes only one spouse became a believer. The other did not. And so when Paul says, I'm teaching this, not the Lord, he's not saying that uh, wait a minute, I'm you know, coming up with some teaching here. No, he's, he's, what he's saying is, Jesus during his earthly ministry didn't cover this topic, so now I'm doing it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what God wants in this circumstance. When a believer is married to an unbeliever, what do you do? All right, so here's what it is. But to the rest, that's the mixed marriage. Speak I, not the Lord. In other words, the Lord didn't cover it, but I'm covering it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath, an un, uh, hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. So what's the apostle saying? The believer is under an obligation to stay in the marriage. If the unbeliever wants to stay in the marriage, the believer stays in the marriage. That's what God teaches. And this is God's blessing for the unbelieving spouse and the children of that marriage relationship. The believing spouse is a sanctifying influence in that marriage. There's beauty in that. You know, it's actually very interesting as I was going through this. Um, the husband that gets married, the Bible uses one of the words of being tamed. Right. So ladies, have you ever teased about training your husband? All right. Well, yeah. All right. The Bible even uses that word. All right, And so he understands that he's not to be wild anymore. He's a domesticated man. He's a husband now. All right, And he enjoys that. And so the unbelieving spouse is through the influence of the believing spouse somewhat domesticated and preserved. Won't be a wild person. So stay in that marriage relationship. Romans 12, 19 says... As much as is possible, as much as it lies within you, live what? Peaceably with all men. So, believers, you have an unbelieving spouse, whether it's your husband or your wife, God's command to you is stay in the marriage relationship, live peaceably with them. That's your blessing, and it's a blessing to your spouse and to your family. Stay in that marriage relationship. Do not initiate the divorce proceedings. Stay in the marriage. Now, what happens if the unbeliever is not happy and says, you know what? 
I didn't marry this person. I don't know who you are anymore. Um, pastor friend of mine, uh, he's just mo- recently moved to Michigan. His name is uh, Jim Osterwin. Um, when Pastor Jim got saved, he was saved out of a party lifestyle background. And uh, he so radically changed that his wife, Sue, was like, I don't recognize you anymore. This is not what I signed up for. Well, by the grace of God, through Jim's witness and his example, Sue became a believer. And uh, God has blessed them. But you know, her comment was, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for a drinking buddy. I signed up for a party animal. That's what I signed up for. And so if the unbeliever says, now wait a minute, I'm not happy, verse 15, but if the unbeliever depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. All right, so now there's a passive command here. And this is a little bit different than just a permission or an allowance. Now, the unbeliever does not want to stay in the marriage relationship. What does the believer do in that case? Okay? The believer says, I'm leaving. The unbeliever says, I'm gone. The believer says, all right, I won't get in your way. I will not stop you. If that's what you want, you're free to leave. And so that's what we're taught here. Look with me here at verse um, 15. Let him depart. That's a passive imperative. It means allow it to happen. Why? Because God has called you to live in peace. There been too many Christians that have been in a marriage relationship with an unbelieving spouse that have been taught you have to stay in that at all costs. And the unbeliever wants nothing to do with them. And they're gone for months at a time, and then they come home, and the children get upset, and there's crying, there's fighting, then there's physical pressures put upon the wife for physical intimacy, and there's the regret and just not wanting to be involved in that, and just stay away, and all of those problems that come up with that. If the unbeliever wants to leave, God says, let them depart. Let them file the divorce. Let them walk away. And he says, God has called you to peace. But then notice here what it says. The believer, a brother or sister, is not under bondage in such cases. So there's a divorce that God allows. So God has made two provisions through Christ and the apostles for divorce. Through fornication and through an unbeliever who wants to walk away. Now notice, there's no cause stated here. For the, in, in 1 Corinthians seven fifteen, the unbeliever just decides, I don't want it anymore. Doesn't state the cause. Just says, I don't want it. Well, then the believer has a passive command to let them walk away from the marriage relationship. And then it says, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. Well, what's the bondage? Well, the bondage would be to reconcile. So they don't have to reconcile. And the bondage would be not to remarry. 
So they're not under that obligation either. So then they can remarry. The two believers, one has committed fornication against the other. There's a divorce that takes place. The other spouse is free to remarry. But there's a regulation for remarriage. Let's jump down to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth, but if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. What's the last phrase? Only in the Lord. So, if you're a believer, and your spouse is a believer, and you get a divorce that's permissible because of sexual fornication, and you remarry, then only marry another believer. If you're a believer, and an unbelieving spouse walked away from you, and you're seeking to be remarried, remarry only a believer. Believers are only supposed to marry believers. So, why then would we be asking this of you? Well, we want God's will to be done in our church. We want God's will to be done in our marriages. We want people to live at peace with one another. And so, these are the things that need to be clearly taught. And have this gracious attitude toward the divorce. And if you did divorce outside of God's permitted allowances, here's another thing that's in church culture, that you're in an ongoing adulterous marriage. No such thing exists. You can't find that in the Bible. All right? So it was a one-time act, and most Christians have asked for forgiveness. And God forgives. So if you haven't, you can ask God forgiveness and go forward for your past, but there's no such thing as a perpetual state of adultery. It's just not in the Bible. It's not there, okay? And then there's no sin that God can't forgive except for the sin of unbelief. So that sin may be forgiven. Please understand that for some situations, divorce may be the only option for a believer. What? Yeah, especially the believer whose unbelieving spouse walks away from them. God says, allow it to be. They have no choice in that. So practically speaking, as a member of Calvary, the deacons want you to prayerfully consider changing our statement of faith to allow properly divorced persons to serve in the office of deacon. So that's one practical part of the message. But if you're divorced as believers and it's possible still to reconcile with your spouse, then seek that reconciliation. Um, If you're married to an unbeliever, stay in the marriage. Make it work. Let God be honored. These are the teachings that God has for us. Now, I know that in a message like this, it's impossible to cover the topic thoroughly. And I also know that it's impossible to meet every question that you might have. 
And so that's why we have an invitation to our church family to come together in that business meeting on the 26th and to ask questions. But we will be presenting before you on that day um, two motions to make these votes, to make these changes within our bylaws and then one within our statement of faith. And so we want to be as biblically as possible and we want to honor God with the way that we go about our relationships with one another. And we want to be gracious, but we also want to be biblical. And so today we're not saying, yeah, whatever. No, that's not God's cavalier attitude. God says, under these circumstances and only these circumstances. And so let's obey the Lord.